Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Predlines podcast. Uh, we are back as a uh, group of three today. We got Corey back uh, from from family duty. He was, uh, as we mentioned last week, he was doing due diligence and and spending time with his family, unlike George and I, who uh, hold ourselves away and do pod- hockey podcasts. Uh, with that in mind, uh, Corey, how, how's it been going this week? The uh, the off week. I know it's been a little slow for me, but I've been. Hopping around some of the other teams and watching some of the other games. How how's the week been going for you? It's been good for me, uh, other than some other little family things that have happened. But it's been a good week, able to catch up on some some uh, some stats and things like that. I wanted to work up for the rest of the season and and uh, just get prepared for a push to the playoffs. Real excited about what's to come. Yeah, it's, as as a, you know, writers, it's kind of nice to have uh, a couple days at least off so you can take a breath and. and take a deep dive into some of the stats especially it's it's very conveniently halfway through the season almost exactly so you can kind of uh see how the first half of the whole year has been going for this predators team uh and uh some interesting things some some players who have been over or underperforming as, as we'll get into later in this episode uh but first george how's the uh the frigid midwest treating you uh it's pretty good i actually went to the green bay packers hall of fame today which is cool. I don't really, yeah, I don't really care about the Green Bay Packers because uh, you know, go Niners. But, but still, um, <laughs> it, you know, I find as I get a little bit older in this life, I do appreciate history more, and especially <laughs> sports history. Although I do oh, want to make a correction. Okay. I want to make a quick correction to all the people that work at the Green Bay uh, Hall of Fame. They're claiming that uh, one of their coaches came up with the West Coast offense, but it was Bill Walsh back in like the seventies or the eighties with Joe Montana uh, for the Niners. So I just. You know, quick correction right there, but that, that's that's all I got to say about that. Wow, Wait, you pull out the football knowledge. All, all I know is basic 49ers trivia. That's <laughs> that's really all I know. I know a little bit about the Raiders, but you know, I don't like them. The uh, wait, the the Green Bay Packers are claiming ownership for the West Coast offense. Exactly, it's in the name. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, that's that's. Well, I guess it's your museum. You know, mm-hmm. chances are most people coming are going to be fans of your team, so you can probably say whatever you want. You know, the Green Bay Packers are officially the greatest team in, in NFL mm-hmm. history, and you could probably get away with it until some salty 49ers fan comes in. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, the the football the the football playoffs, the NFL playoffs have have been a bit of a, a nice distraction from the the slow bye week. Um, obviously the Titans not getting it done on Saturday night, but, uh, I think for my own sake, I'm not going to get into that at all. (laughs) We're just going to talk about hockey today. Um, (laughs) it was, uh, yeah, as, as, as we've mentioned many times, it's the off week. So only one game to break down, uh, which we've done in a few different articles, but it's certainly worth talking about this, uh, home victory against the, uh, Connor McDavid's, um, (laughs) Unfortunately, as a as a Predators and a hockey fan, more importantly, uh, the Preds getting it done on a uh, one of those microscope um, inducing offside calls, which is unfortunate. I thought the Oilers, um, you know, the 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 refereeing in that game, and this is not something that I like to say often because I think you know the refereeing is just something you you kind of have to deal with, and it's not worth uh, complaining about too much. But I thought. The Preds definitely got the better end of a lot of those calls. Uh, the, from the most obvious one being, I I don't know how Subban did not get a hooking penalty on that <laughs> McDavid breakaway. Luckily, uh, Rene did make an excellent save, but still I thought that was worthy of a penalty, if not a penalty shot. Um, 
and then some you know I, even down to the, like the what led to the craig smith's goal is that um is it milan lucic interfering uh, kyle turris which i thought was kind of an iffy call i thought turris just didn't uh you know he hit the ice under you know i didn't think he embellished or anything but i didn't think it was worth the penalty anyhow uh the preds get it done 2-1 and Corey, what were your what were your takeaways from this this victory against edmonton that was one of the luckiest victories I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the the goal uh, by Smith. You mentioned the what could have been a hooking call or should have been a hooking call on Subban, and then the the goal being taken away after, um, from the um, uh, Oilers. But then you have to look at Pe- uh, Pecorine and the denial of Connor McDavid on a clear breakaway and just snatching the the puck uh, with the mitt. That I mean, how often does that happen to McDavid, really? And then there are a couple other things that happened throughout the game. Um, the goal by Arvidsson, he had to be in the right place at the right time, and the puck just happened to go off of someone's face. I think it was Carlson. I mean, it, <laughs> it hit off his face, and it went right down to an open spot, and Arvidsson was there to knock it in. I mean, it's just one of those lucky moments. I don't think the Predators did a lot to really generate anything on their end, except for that that first period they kind of you know pushed the things a little bit. But I don't I didn't see any other real push for offense throughout the game from them, and it just seemed like a really lucky win. Yeah, and, and we saw uh, a different time in that game when Ekholm got completely burned by McDavid. We saw what normally happens when McDavid gets a breakaway, which is it's a it's a sure goal for the Oilers. So you're right, it was. Uh, um, you know, no no discredit to Rene, but you got to think that, uh, you know, in my opinion, the greatest player in the NHL is going to put that away. So credit to Rene for, for putting up a stop. But I did think that they, the refs missed a very obvious call on Subban. And uh, maybe McDavid didn't quite get all of the puck uh, that he's used to getting. And George, what were your immediate takeaways from the Oilers game? Of course, immediate takeaways now almost a week later. Yeah. Uh, you really got to stop telling the Predators that they're going up against the Oilers because whatever, whatever the Oilers have, it, they just they use it so well against the Predators. I mean, besides that first period, it was just all it was just all Oilers. I mean, without Saros in that in the first game, and then Rene now, uh, you know the Predators really had no ch- had no chance in that game. Uh, they gave up ten high danger chances. I think like five of them to the McDavid line and. It's just it was incredible watching McDavid work was just so much fun, especially from a a very objective point of view. Where I wasn't really rooting for the Predators, it was incredible to watch him just ragdoll players. And I mean, he put he dangled Matias Ekholm twice, resulting in one goal. And especially yeah. that that the one that actually resulted in a goal, he made Matias Ekholm, who's not a small guy, just look you know feel like a light breeze. He just shrugged him off so easily. That was incredible. Um, otherwise, though, I you know. There's only one real way that you can you can beat McDavid, and that's to try to contain him. And I think that the Predators, for the first probably two periods, actually figured out how to do it, which is to try to not let him get the puck. The best thing that they that they did was they stepped up on wingers really hard, especially Dreisaitl uh, and Lucic. They really, whenever Lucic or Dreisaitl had the puck, I mean, Subban or Ekholm was on them, you know, like white on rice. It was great. They did a really good job. And then in the third period, it kind of fell apart especially as uh, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis got more time against um, McDavid, then it kind of started to fall, you know, fall apart. Otherwise, I really, I still really like that uh, Jern Croak line. And then I also was really enjoying uh, Ryan Johansson's game, especially on, on defense. He was, he was really good. He did a good job of shutting down McDavid. I think he actually out, 
uh, out-chanced and out-high-danger chanced McDavid while he was on the ice. It, I think it was his best game probably of the season. Yeah, from Johansson and Arvidsson's performance, I was those. I felt like those players both had sort of a resurgence. Um, Arvidsson getting back to what he kind of does best, which is getting right in that slot, kind of around the goalie crease and, and just making chaos happen. Uh, and he was rewarded with a goal and um, really should receive quite a lot of credit for the, the, for the Craig Smith goal as well. And then Johansson, like you said, just kind of back to his playmaking ways, shutting down opponent, you know, posing forwards, especially centers, and uh, creating nice offensive chances for the Predators. And, you know, not to say that, uh, you know, this is something we've kind of mentioned before. I wouldn't say Johansson's having a regression of a year. In fact, I might say the opposite because I think he's being used a lot differently than we're used to seeing. Where in in previous, well, last year and then the, the former half season he had with the Predators, the, the team really likes to keep him in an offensive position, but I think this year we're seeing a lot more responsibility being put on his shoulders in terms of back-checking and, and defending um, kind of defensive zone or neutral zone face-offs. And you can see that in his, his offensive zone starts. Uh, they're, they're kind of down from where they've been, which uh, translates to the team using him at a, in a more defensive role, which I think, frankly, is a smart thing. I think Johansson is, is definitely the smartest skater on the ice every night for the Predators. So the more you can get him involved in the play both directions, I think the better. Especially now we've seen the second line really step up and take over some of the scoring and some of the offensive chances, which opens up a more defensive game for players like Johansson. So I think that's a good thing, and I agree with you. I think he really did well in that role um, against the Oilers. Um, and you know, to kind of transition to a bit of a lighter note, the uh, All Star Game, of course, is coming up at, a, at the end of this month. P.K. Subban, perhaps no surprise, is selected as the captain. I think, um, and I certainly don't mean this as a negative. I think it's certainly a uh, a popularity contest for the fan vote, and Subban has uh, definitely one of the most personable um, kind of uh, well personalities in in the league. So it's really not a surprise to me that he was selected in the fan vote. Uh, Peter Laviolette getting the role as coach. I think that was a little bit surprising. Um, I've, I think all of our concerns with the Predators of this year have been primarily with the coaching, so it's a little <laughs> interesting to see uh, that. Yeah, it's a little interesting to see Laviolette there. Um, and then Pecorine added a little late, but he will be representing Nashville in the Central Division as well. So uh, in terms of players, this is, uh, this is just a little bit of petty stab for me, but the players uh, from Nashville are... are outnumbering the Blackhawks players two to one. So that's, you know, <laughs> when's the last time we saw that aside from the game in Nashville, of course. Uh, Corey, do you think there's any other predators that were maybe left out of this that we should have seen in the all-star game? Well, I mean, you got to see if there's anybody leading the way on anything uh, throughout the season. So I think, you know, Cody McLeod could have been a great asset to the team since <laughs> he's leading the league in like, Don't even you know, go, you can't blindside me with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, for something like that. Uh, hey, you know, I gotta throw one in where I can. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, there's so much talent in the Central Division. There's so many, so many good teams. There's so many players you could choose from for this type of an event. And you know, you're looking at a at a um, a division where every team has a winning record. Um, you, you know, that may not mean as much in hockey as it does in baseball because the whole point standing and everything, but. You're, you're seeing teams that have talent across the board, so I can see that only of all the of all the goalies, Pecorini has been one of the ones to stand out. You know, I don't know if there's any other players on the Predators that has stood out as uh, has stood out as much 
as as Rene or any other players that are kind of deserve it. But it's again, there's a lot of players to choose from. So I'm not surprised that it was only a couple players. Still kind of surprised about the coaching, but it should be a fun event no matter what. Yeah, you know, it's obviously this always comes with the kind of the caveat that it is fun. It's supposed to be, you know, just a bit of a lighthearted thing. And frankly, if I was a player, again, you know, there's, there's, well, there's nothing in my life that would even resemble being an NHL player, so I'm not sure how I would react in this situation. But I would sort of envy the guys that get to go down, you know, P.K. Subban we saw is down in uh, Miami Beach. You know, some of these guys that are going, I think Johansson's vacationing out in the, the mountains of Colorado. So I don't know if I would, uh, if I'd want to go play hockey, even, even the fun kind of, lighthearted game uh, for a weekend if I could go on a, a brief vacation but uh, certainly nice to see some of these players I think especially Pecorine who's been uh, you know the goaltending for Nashville I think has just been the reason they are so competitive this year so it's nice to see Rene get the recognition especially at this kind of stage in his career and George I know you're a huge fan of uh, of the All-Star game and you take it very seriously so what are your thoughts on on maybe some Predators we should have seen in here I don't think that any other predators should probably have gone. I, I. <laughs> well, okay, moving on. <laughs> I like I like Subban a lot, and I think he probably deserved it. Pecorine obviously deserved it. Um, I don't. I wasn't really a big fan of his the first time around when he made it. I he I think he was like hovering around a nine ten save percentage, like a few years ago when when it was the John Scott one. But you know, it's good that he's kind of come back and he's kind of you know went his way in. Uh, overall, I kind of like everyone. I'm a little surprised Braden Shen got in over Vladimir Tarasenko, but I think the big not-so-hidden secret is that a lot of the players hate the All-Star game. I mean, Sidney Crosby fakes injuries all the time to get out of them. I think he's only ever been to two. <laughs> mystery so, illness. Yes, mystery illness. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually you know, comes down with something like a, a hurt wrist or whatever. I think that's, what, that's the one that he's been out with a few times. Uh before the All-Star game, so I wouldn't be surprised if he develops right. a phantom injury and they end up sending yeah. Phil Kessel, who arguably deserves more to <laughs> right? go. But, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I like it. I, I don't think Laviolette really deserves to go. I'd rather he stay home and work on some of his uh, some of his strategy, but I guess who else would you give it to? Maybe Mike Yeo. Uh, oh, no, Paul Maurice over in Winnipeg, the guy that would probably yeah, win yeah. the Jack Adams if Gerard Gallant wasn't killing it in Vegas. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Galan has just been, I think, the front runner for for coach of the year. Definitely, I've been um, I've been saying it. Jordan Galan's the best person on that bench. On the out of yeah. all the players, oh, out of absolutely. every everyone in that organization, Jordan Galan's the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, um, I think you know the only other Predators nominee that I would have maybe wanted to see is is Matthias Ekholm. I think he's just absolutely the best shutdown defenseman on their roster. Subban is Subban and Ekholm are, are right there together. Um, but I don't think that Ekholm's style of play really translates well to an exciting all-star game. He's, you know, no. very traditional kind of conservative defenseman. And <laughs> in the all-star game, you want to see players like PK Subban taking slappers from the blue line, not Matias Ekholm, uh, you know, winning possession battles. <laughs> That's not really what the, what the event is for. Uh, yeah, the, really the only surprise here is, as I mentioned, is, is Peter Laviolette for me. I, you know, I the, the Predators are a very successful team. They were last year, and it looks like they should be again this year. But I, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> predict Laviolette making it in there. I do think we should probably mention that the only reason we haven't talked about Philip Forsberg is because he is going to be injured. Had he been, had he been yeah, healthy, right. I think right. he probably would have made it. 
I just, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want anyone afterwards to be ranting at us on Twitter about how we missed Philip Forsberg. He definitely deserves it. You know, he's just injured. Surely no one would ever rant against us on Twitter. That never happens. No, no, no. Everyone's very, uh, very reasonable and friendly on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I did a, like a you know mid-season rankings of, of some of the young players, which as this always kind of surprises me includes Philip Forsberg. I mean, he's twenty. He's he's my age, right? He's twenty-three years old, and and can you imagine two more different lifestyles? Anyway, uh, you know, he he definitely gets very good marks for the first half of the season. He kind of took you know. Last year, we saw Forsberg just explode in February. You know, he got two consecutive hat tricks uh, among several other goals. And this year, it's been sort of the same production, just leveled out throughout the year. He's, I think, more than anything, Forsberg impresses me with his ability to score timely goals. You know, he, it's like he can kind of score when he wants and, and when he knows the team really needs some momentum swing or a go-ahead goal or whatever, he, he knows how to put it in the net. But you're as as you mentioned, of course, he's injured and uh, certainly would never, you know, certainly wouldn't even be in question for this game if he's injured. I did see Philip Forsberg yesterday, so uh, perhaps, and he looked, you know, he looked to be in good spirits. He's very large. All these players, even the kind of average size ones, look very large when you see them in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had kind of a posse with him. So anyway, uh, Forsberg seems to be recovering well and in good spirits. Um, uh, and speaking, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the segues on these podcasts, so I always try to come up with some way to connect topics. And I guess uh, his typical, Forsberg's typical line mate, Victor Harvidsson, has provided some talking points this year, although perhaps not the kind that Preds fans may want. I think in all of our opinions, and, and when you when you look at a bit of the possession numbers and, and even just the points, um, it, it kind of backs this up. I think Victor Harvidsson has not been the player that we saw last year. I Frankly, I don't think he's been a four and a quarter million dollar player this year so far. Obviously, the season's just about halfway over, so still definitely time to bounce back. But I think it's worth talking about. You know, why... I think, as personally, I think Arvidsson's success comes from his ability to get in dirty areas and, and just create a bit of chaos and either knock in rebounds himself or, shield, you know, uh, screen the goaltender, that sort of thing, and for whatever reason, we haven't seen that, you know, that from him this year, at least not as successfully. So, um, I'll, you know, just kind of open it up to you guys, and, and I'll start with you, George. What, what do you think we've seen from Arvidsson? Maybe uh, some specific numbers or, or that type of thing that would make you think that perhaps he's been underperforming. Uh, mostly, it's his shots per sixty, uh, and that was one of the big reasons why a lot of analysts had him as their up and coming guy, especially uh, Dmitry Filipovich. He was a huge fan of him back in the day. But we, we've kind of stopped seeing that. And from what I saw, he was—he has 30, so far this season, he has 36 uh, shots for per 60. I'm not 36, I'm sorry, but 33.6. And then last year, he actually had 36.9 shots per 60. You know, that, that's about a four-shot change. And while that may not seem huge, that can actually be pretty big uh, game by game. That's almost one or two shots per. Um, and so I think that was a big deal. And also... I think uh, another thing that we we haven't really talked about and we haven't really started realizing till now is his usage in a two-way role. And uh, this comes a lot from how Johansson's being used, but also when you take a look at kind of the heat maps and look at especially guys like Philip Forsberg, uh, Philip Forsberg was taking was actually being really uh, good defensively. If you took a look, his side of the ice was almost never being shot from. And so when you have Victor Arvidsson, who's kind of a liability in his own zone and you know performing well, you know, in the offensive zone, I think Pierre Lovely kind of tried to dial back on that, you know, 
decided to uh, pay Peter by robbing Paul. I guess if you want to say, you know, he took some out of the, he took some from the offense to give to the defense, and it actually did pay off. Uh, his shots against per sixty is now down as well, even though he is starting in a more defensive role um, with less zone start, uh, less zone starts in the offensive zone. I should say. Uh, I do think I think it is the shots per sixty that's that's really killing him though, and I I think that the biggest thing is uh, the Predators' willingness to to shelter the second line, where especially in the beginning of the season when you know it was Cal Yarncroker, Nick Benino on the second line, they were you know they were throwing them under the bus to give the Johansson line or the Jofa line a uh, as you know above I think greater than sixty percent uh, offensive zone starts. Like it was, it was just incredible, and now that they're back, kind of down to fifty, the numbers have suffered. That being said, I think one of the biggest issues, at least just from the eye test, is Arvidsson's. I think maybe Arvidsson kind of bought what other people were selling as far as him as a skill player, and that's not to put him down. But I, what I've seen is him not going to the net as much, not going to the dirty areas, not pressuring, uh, willing to you know trying to make the pass to the perimeter more so than challenging the net. And it's hurt his production, and I think that's been a big thing with the Predators all year, where they're more content to play along the perimeter rather than actually challenging for a chance in the slot. Um, and then I, you know, I think you see it's perfectly evident, or you know, yeah, beautifully evidenced uh, in the game against the Oilers, where you have that lucky opportunity that kind of right, you know, finds its way right to Arden stick. But if he's doing what he normally does and not pressuring the net and maybe going for, you know, going to set up for a better kind of spot. Or you know, go higher and go higher in the slot, unless not as much towards the net. Then uh, he wouldn't be in that perfect that perfect place for that easy goal. I think he can easily get back to those dirty areas, especially in front of the net. And that's hard to do as a small guy, but he showed last year that he can do it. Yeah, and, and the th- I think the first thing that kind of jumps out to me is when you look at his time on ice uh, every night. He's playing about forty five seconds. Uh, between 40 and 50 seconds fewer per night than he was last year which I think frankly is a good thing because when you look at it in in the context of the team I think that the team is relying much less on that first line um, every night and I think if you can keep the overall production at a similar rate a successful rate while kind of minimizing the amount of weight you have to put on each individual line I think that's great Um, that said his his as you mentioned his production over you know kind of uh, over 60 stats so it's like goals per 60 minutes and assists and that sort of thing are, are all down inter and that extends to possession stats so uh, you mentioned shots you know shot attempts and that sort of thing are down but Corey I'll kind of you know as it's just a different way to look at this I'll pose you this question do you think that with you know kind of what I said in mind do you think it's necessarily a bad thing that that their team is relying less on Arvidsson um, do you think you know the kind of the the expense of his contract now means that the team really should expect more from him. You know, where are you on this uh, Victor Arvidsson issue? If well, there is an issue at all, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at if you're looking at contracts, well, then you know he's not the most expensive contract of any of the forwards there. I mean, even uh, you're, you've got to look at players like uh, I mean, obviously Johansson, Forsberg, but then you get to um, Kyle Turris is going to is making about the same, or will be making more starting next year. So it's not like it's if you're looking at it by a contract, that's, that's that's that could be a completely different breakdown. The one thing that I want to get back to though on this is the shots for the team are way down. As a matter of fact, last if you look at last year's stats for just the entire year, uh, when uh, shot differential. Last year 
the Predators outshot their opponents by 76 shots on the entire year. If you want to go to this year, I think it's negative 80 shots or somewhere close to that right now. There's such a big difference. Actually, yeah, it's negative 87 shots this year. So there's a big difference on just the, the, the usage of all the players combined. They're not shooting as much as a team as they were uh, last year. They are not pressuring the goal as much as they were last year. They're having less offensive zone starts for that Jaffa line or whatever that front line is, whatever you want to call it now, than they were last year. So there's a lot of differences in just the overall concept of the team and how they're, how they're playing the game. They're, they're being more two-way than they are being offensive-minded in, in, in uh, as an overall concept. So I think that is kind of what's hampering some of these players. When we see Arvidsson this year, you know, he's last year he had the 61 points. This year he's actually on pace for around 55 or so, which isn't a huge drop-off. But the way the way the players are being used, I think, is the biggest concern for me. When you're looking at the stats for whether it's Arvidsson or Johansson, uh, even I mean Fiala's doing pretty well, having a little bit more time this year. So it's it's a combination of of how they're being used offensively and defensively compared to what they were done in the past. It's 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 very interesting to see the team because you're you you've touched on something that I think is very important to note this year is the whole the whole kind of approach is a little different this year you know it's it's no it's no surprise to anyone that uh Nashville boasts a very talented defensive group but I think uh kind of the more specifically they they've boasted a very talented attacking defensive group so the team as a whole has, has relied a lot on especially last year relied a lot on its ability to uh you know transition quickly exit the zone really put speed um, on the uh, kind of attacking mentality, that sort of thing. And this year, like you mentioned, it seems like they're trying to play a little more defensively, which, you know, it, it's hard. It's a hard position to take because the results are still coming. You know, Nashville's currently second in the Central with four games in hand on the first and third place teams. So it's hard to argue that they're not doing well. But when you watch the games, it just seems like defensively it's all sort of breaking down. And I wonder if maybe – they need to, you know, kind of pivot back to that, that understanding, you know, we, our talent is, our skill is in the ability to put a ton of offensive pressure on very quickly, um, rather than try to play a more conservative, more defensive role. And I wonder so if some interesting, and I wonder ahead. if some, I wonder if some of that is because they didn't have Ryan Ellis. I wonder if some of that is they, well, our defense is hurt because one of our top four guys, one of our better guys is not there. And so we've got to think more on the on the with our offensive players we're going to think a little bit more shut down defensively as well like you said that you mentioned something about Forsberg earlier about how good he was playing on defense and how he was being used there a little bit more I wonder if they were thinking okay we're, we're hurting on defense we're not doing things as well on defense as we should and that's the reason why they've gone to this concept uh, George do you have any input on kind of the, the overall approach of the team being a little more defensive I've been kind of thinking about this for a little while and I did take into account the Ryan Ellis injury and I just, part of me doesn't, part of me would think so, but part of me doesn't because I don't think that Ryan Ellis is that big of an impact or has that big of an impact uh, for the team. If, if Yossi or Subban goes down, I definitely think that would, but I mean, they didn't really, I don't think that they lost too much from losing Ellis. I mean, they lost him and, you know, obviously Subban had to play with Emlyn for a while, but I don't 
to have that change up your entire system is is quite a lot, especially of a player that's not really probably wouldn't even be in your top five uh, players of the on the team. That's forwards and defense. Um, obviously, Ryan Ellis is the, definitely the fourth best defenseman on that team, at least. Um, but I don't know. It's it's kind of tricky. I just from last season, from what I saw, and I didn't watch every game, and I only watched mostly in the last half of the season. It definitely felt like the defense was much more willing to go to the to go past uh, the offensive goal line, and that's where uh, Romeo Yossi got in a lot of trouble. And he got that's actually where he got hurt was because he was just so freely you know freewheeling and freely happy to to go behind the goal line and get hit. And all the forwards knew what was up. All the forwards made sure that if they saw Yossi or Ekholm or Subban going that or Ellis going that it was time to get back. Um, Ellis actually didn't wasn't that much of a player when it came or it wasn't that much uh not effective but he wasn't he didn't often go pat he didn't go wandering like yossi does and where a lot of his movement came from was laterally along the blue line which was really interesting and it was very fun to watch it almost reminds me or a play that reminds me of ellis was sam gerard and his uh shall we call him hijinks along the blue line um hijinks. <laughs> i think <laughs> that's probably the best way to put it <laughs> Okay, I think I think that's the best. <laughs> what, what, do you, what are you going to call Sam Gerrard doing the spin of Ram at the blue line? Yeah, you're right. You're right. There were some hijinks going on. Yeah. I loved uh, it. I love this. I love Sam Gerrard's spin ramas at the blue line. Oh, I did too. They gave me a heart attack, but I, I loved them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, I uh, I think that I think that there is a little more uh, conservatism with the defenseman on the blue line. I don't necessarily think. It's tough to see, though, because you do often see the blue line leading the rush. They just don't venture past the circles anymore, which is kind of a shame because that's really what made him good. Uh, I remember Jeff Merrick had this interesting comment where he said that in a series with uh, James Neal and uh, Nick Benino and Evgeny Malkin, uh, Matias Ekholm was the best power forward on the ice. And it, <laughs> right. it, and it was true. He was he was yeah. dominating people physically on both ends because he was just willing to go. You know, he was just willing to go as far as he could. And it helped the team. And this year, I think, you know, anyone that's watched games will realize that the defense just isn't venturing as far as they used to. And I think that is hurting because that really, what that did was it made the Predators move and it kind of stopped them from getting too positionally set. And when teams that are so mobile and so fast get kind of freewheeling like that, it really makes the defense move or the other team's defense move. And that can you know really tire them out easily. And when teams are tired, they make mistakes and mistakes are goals. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, with, with Nashville, you talk about player defensemen like uh, Subban, Ekholm, Ellis, Yossi. I mean, these are the big names, but uh, certainly the kind of the depth defensemen are very important. And another big headline from the past couple of weeks has been uh, the Predators re-signing three of their kind of depth defensemen all on the same day, uh, with Irwin, Batetto, and Weber all receiving extensions or, uh, you know, I think they were all two-year contracts. Is that right, or or was there a little variation there? I want to say one it, of them was a one-year. I think it was Irwin, or, or no, no, I'm sorry, it was Batetto rather that had a one-year. Yeah, they all happened so quickly. Of course, I, they all muddled together in my head. Um, and then the, kind of the only glaring omission here, and this is what you know, the 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 three we've mentioned are again, you they're not headline players, but you need depth players on your team. Not every team can be consisted only of superstars, so I think. Anytime you can extend those deals um, and, and kind of secure your depth players, I think that's a perfectly good thing. But I do want to talk about kind of the glaring omission here, which is Alexi Emelin, who's kind of the only defenseman now in Nashville with a, an uncertain future. 
And I know, I, I think I can speak for all of us in saying that we've not been particularly impressed with Emelin this year. I haven't been terribly surprised. I think when the when the team signed him, I think we all kind of knew what to expect. A very physical, kind of slow style of play. And I think, uh, you know, this may be going too far, but I think he's really just been an anchor on Subban's season so far. And I'm uh, certainly excited to see Subban kind of shed that weight. So I want to talk a little bit about the Emelin situation. And uh, I'll ask Corey, you know, do you think that uh, you think an extension or a new contract is, is in the books for Emelin? Or do you think the team just kind of lets him slip in a free agency? I think we're going to get to the end of the season before we know anything uh, about Emelin. I don't. I, I, part of it is the the three players that were resigned are relatively minor contracts. I mean, they may be uh, nine hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, or close to the million dollar mark. We're not talking a a, a larger cap hit of four point one million dollar cap hit that you would have with an uh, Alexi Emelin. So I think that plays a little bit into it. They're trying to, you know, they've got they can get some things out of the way so they can go ahead and focus on bigger things. This offseason, um, I agree with you that that Emelin has been kind of a an anchor to Subban. He has he's kind of pulled things back a little bit. He's played better of recent games. I think he's showed up a little bit more. Although he's had some really bonehead moments as well, he's always going to have that. I think, but it's going to be too large of a cap number for anything to be done until free agency hits. Um, it's he's not the he's not a there's could be other players out there that could do a better job than what he's doing that may cost about the same as what he will cost in the off season. Yeah, you know with Emelin, I think that you're getting a pretty much the same player, if not perhaps a slight improvement. Well, I guess an improvement over players like Yannick Weber or Matt Irwin. Um Potato has some flashes of brilliance, but I think he's down there too. I think Emelin is a better player than those three, but as you mentioned, his cap is considerably higher. In fact, he costs more than those three players combined. He's carrying a $3 million cap hit. <laughs> it's worth mentioning, this just blows my mind every time I see it. Ryan Ellis is carrying a $2.5 million cap hit. Uh, so we're pay- paying more for Alexi Emelin than for Ryan Ellis. Uh, Emelin, though, does become a free agent after this season, an unrestricted free agent after this season. you got to think there's another team that will be interested in him, but I, I can't imagine anyone going for a trade on that contract when they could just pick him up in free agency. Uh, George, what do you think? And, and I don't want to, you know, doom the guy. And, and I think he's been all right. I mean, he's had some great games and he's had some very bad games. But, George, where do you think Emelin's future lies after the end of this season? Uh, he's definitely not getting re-signed, in my opinion. I have a few things. First off, going back to that contract, uh, Mark Bergeron is a heck of a GM, isn't he? Just oh my god! Shut up! <laughs> deal after deal after deal. Um, you can't bait me like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I should know better by now. Um, two. Second thing. Someone's always going to sign guys like Alexi Emlin, no matter how slow they get or whatever. They're going to see a highlight reel of Alexi Emlin just standing up guys at the blue line, and they're they're going to sign him. And you know he brings truculence and grit and things like that. And which is fine. I think Emlin's a very good... No, no, not very good. I think he's a fine third liner. I think that he's fine on the third pair. Uh, he's good on the left side. And if you have someone that's a little bit better of a skater on the right side, then he, then he works very well. He can definitely stay at home. His numbers aren't great, but that's, that's what they are. I don't think that he has any trade value. And at this point, the Predators shouldn't be trading him to anyone because the only teams that could use a player like him... Are, uh, are are teams that are looking to win and are looking to add defensive depth. 
And, you know, the Predators are a team that, that is looking to win and that needs defensive depth. And so, you know, don't give any competitors any advantages. Um, but most likely he walks in free agency. I think he'll probably make, you know, $1 million or maybe a little more. But um, I don't, I didn't like that all three of these guys were given contracts that, uh, at the term that they're given. I think Irwin's fine. Um, I like, actually, his numbers aren't too bad uh, as, as themselves. I'm a little disappointed that they signed Weber because that, that means that the Predators don't have confidence that Dante Fabro or uh, Alexander Carrier will be able to make the jump next year. Which, I know Fabro was a long shot because he seems to really enjoy playing at BU. But, you know, I, I was kind of excited for Carrier before the season, and he's kind of been a little bit of a letdown in Milwaukee. I've only seen uh, probably five or six of his games, but he's been better defensively, but his offense has suffered because of it. So I'm a little curious. I was hoping that he would actually make the roster over Sam Gerrard earlier this season, but you know that didn't work out. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. This is fine as long as you keep the top four intact. The third line doesn't need to be that great. Although, I my heart misses a beat whenever I see uh, Irwin and Weber out there with the Benino line. Oh, especially in the oh, defensive yeah. Anytime, oh, yeah, yeah. Anytime you get a bottom six forward line. And that third defensive pairing is just spelling trouble. I think not the, not the the, I'm scarred by the Washington game in in which those that group of five players. It was the bottom. It was the I think of that game. It was McLeod and Watson and you know whatever the other winger was for that particular game down there with Irwin and uh, Weber, and they got trapped in the defensive zone for over two minutes and allowed a goal. Um, and I think that's just stuck with me ever since. Anytime I see the bottom pairing with the bottom forward line, it just I get kind of a, a, a bad reaction to that. Yeah. And when you look at, uh, you know, I mentioned that Subban has been a little anchored by Emelin for throughout the first half of the season. When you kind of look at their possession numbers, you can really see that. Uh, Subban and Emelin as a pairing had, I'll, I'll just do Fenwick. So unblocked shot attempts, they were right down the middle, 50.26%. So both teams were generating pretty much the same number of shot attempts while Subban and Emelin were on the ice. Subban, without Emelin, the Predators have an 8% advantage. So they were generating, uh, well, 58% of the unblocked shot attempts. And with Emelin on the ice, without Subban, they're getting 34. So Emelin, I mean, that alone really tells me that Emelin was just an, a stone anchor for P.K. Subban, who needs to be one of the you know, kind of superstar leading players for this impact players for this Predators team. So I think more than anything, Ellis, it's kind of like when Turris joined, you know, the, the real benefit of Kyle Turris comes through Fiala and uh, Smith. I think the real benefit of Ellis might come through P.K. Subban being sort of unleashed. Um, but of course, Ryan Ellis is a, is a great player in his own right. Yeah. And I'm I actually, in agreement, I think, with you both. Go ahead. I actually, I, I just did an article on uh, the shutdown pair and their impact since coming back. And I was actually a little in favor of keeping them apart for a bit, but I was taking a look at their stats and um, the, with with Subban and Ekelman, uh, they controlled uh, 50, they had a fifty nine Corsi and a fifty seven point five Fenwick, which is arguably elite. I think we can all say that that's pretty good. Um, and then in and then without the shutdown pair though on the ice, the Predators. Control, controlled had a forty-five or forty, basically a forty-six Corsi and a forty-four Fenwick. Like, and that that's with that's with the shutdown pair playing uh, McDavid and then uh, playing uh, Kopitar and 
and people like that playing against grade A competition. Just that line is so good at controlling the puck. And again, their course is fine, but it really their family kind of paints you know paints a story uh, of how of how great they are. I don't I don't necessarily know if this is going to. I wonder how long they're going to stay together if if the team can you know doesn't create as much offense as they have been. But boy, they have been they've been unstoppable together. Um, and kind of just to, to move on, I want to talk about a little bit about the central vision. I think this year, the Metro and the central are, are definitely the top two divisions. Uh, the predators with their bye week, they definitely fallen behind in terms of games played, but that's actually a good thing considering the jets and blues have been playing very poorly lately. Uh, the Winnipeg's on a two game losing streak, uh, three points ahead of Nashville with four games, uh, four more games played. The blues are, have lost three straight. And they have fewer uh, 55 points, and again four games more than Nashville played. So I just I want to talk. I mean, right now you got to feel good about where the Predators are. If they go, uh, you know, if they get 50 percent of, of their points in the next uh, two, you know, four games, and they go ahead of they they will lead the division. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to figure out where Vegas is. Vegas is okay. Vegas is the exact same number of games played, so they're pretty much. Uh, unreachable without a certain, you know, without a big change in, in performance. Uh, anyway, I just, you know, I want to talk to you guys about who we think is legit in this division. You know, is even the Avalanche have matched their point total from last year, the entire season <laughs> they've matched halfway through. So uh, there's really no one that's completely out of the running for the playoffs. Um, the Avalanche are so eight, eight, or eight, one and one in their last 10 games. Jesus. Oh, they, yeah, they've won six straight. I mean, they've just been on fire lately. But, you know, even though they're a, a quote-unquote central division rival, I've got to kind of feel happy for Avalanche fans after the season they were put through last year. I just feel happy for Nathan uh, McKinnon. Yes, right, and, and some of the players they have. And, and you got to feel sad for Matt Duchesne, of course. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, poor just, guy. No one saw that coming, to leave the successful Avalanche and go to the uh, very, very bad Ottawa Senators. So Corey, I'll start with you. Just if you could kind of uh, pick maybe some of these some of these teams in the central that you think are are shoe ins for the playoffs. Maybe uh, some that are on the fence. I think most notably, like the Blues, are are maybe their playoff destiny is not quite as guaranteed as they would have thought. So uh, is there anyone you've you've kind of picked out in this division? I've got some interesting information for you guys here. I've done some breaking down of the schedule for the rest of the season. Um, Nashville has forty games left. Okay. Uh, and some of this may be just out of left field type thing. This is interesting. 40 games left. Five of those games is where they have a, a one game or more rest advantage over their opponent. Five games where they have a lower advantage. Like if they may have the other team has the advantage in time in terms of rest. But here's where it really gets interesting. The Predators have had 19 home games, 21 away games. Their remaining schedule, 27 of their final 40 games are against teams uh, with that have earned uh, points in 500 or half of the games or more. So they're 27 and 13 on, on the, with teams above 500. The Jets, let's go there. They have six games with good rest. They have four games with bad rest. Like the other team has, the other opponent has the advantage. They're 19 games at home, 26 games on the road. So they have a home uh, field left the rest of the season. But 30 of their remaining 36 games are against teams above 500. The same thing can be said for St. Louis. 30 of their final 30 games are above teams uh, with teams above 500. Vegas, 11 of their t- first 12 games after the break 
are above with ga- are games above 500 and 10 of those games are on the road. So, advantage schedule-wise, Nashville. I know that's kind of a lot of random stats. I think Nashville has an advantage going forward just because of the way their schedule is set up. Vegas has a lot of uh, a lot of away games. That's not great for them. St. Louis has some a lot of away games. It's not great for them either. Winnipeg is probably the other team that I say is a she win at this point in time in the Central Division to make it, just because where they stand in points and because they have a home uh, home court advantage most of the way through the, the the second half of the season. So looking at schedule, Nashville and Winnipeg are the two teams I'm really saying are for real when it comes to making the playoffs. Right, and and you know the Central Division obviously is is where your focus is. As a, per, a matter of personal pride, I too would like the Predators to be ahead of the Golden Knights. Uh, come come the end of the season and and maybe lead the Western Conference, uh, but Vegas is really off to you know a lightning start. And as as you pointed out, perhaps the beginning of their season was a little weighted in their favor in terms of opponents. Um, but in terms of the Central Division, I'm with you. I think the Predators, barring any huge disruption in in their performance, I think they they should pretty much be guaranteed for the postseason. And Winnipeg as well. I think if anything, Winnipeg will finish ahead of Nashville. They've just been very good lately, even in, even in the face of some big injuries. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, they've lost the past two games, but um, perhaps just a little bump in the road. I think they'll be back to their winning ways soon. Well, let's look uh, at that. Look, look at that real quick, though. Their first seven games are Calgary, Vancouver, San Jose, Anaheim, Tampa Bay, Vegas, and then Colorado coming out of the shoots. So, I mean, they, they have a tough schedule to start off their second half of the season. Yeah, you know, it, I know it's interesting to see, like, Nashville, for example, seems to play worse against bad opponents. <laughs> you know, right, right. Uh, strength of schedule, I would certainly like to be playing teams like, uh, you know, Colorado, Arizona, Buffalo, those kind of guys coming out of the out of the gate. When it comes down to it, I think Winnipeg has proven that they are – pretty much capable of beating any team any night i think the predators are the same st louis has been a little interesting i think recently they've shown maybe a bit of their weakness and i still i mean you got to think first of all you got to think that five teams from the central are going to the playoffs i don't think anyone from the pacific will will make uh put in a shout for a wild card spot right Um, i might be wrong but i would think that five of the central division teams are are getting in the playoffs but we'll uh you know i'll I'll let the our uh, pacific division representative chime in here and george what do you who stands out in this i guess this we'll start with the central division who do you think stands out who do you think is a shoe in and, and maybe who's who's got their playoff chances up for grabs uh the blues are falling pretty quickly and i think that a lot of it has to do with uh, jane schwartz being injured and he saw it for another three weeks i think uh he was a really big part of that first line and no offense to Braden shen but i think that uh schwartz schwartz and tarasenko were the real heavy you know heavy hitters there uh, also, Robbie Fabry losing you know losing him at the beginning of the season really hurt the team, and I think that they kind of overperformed in his absence, and now they're starting to fall back down to earth. Uh, also, Jake Allen hasn't been perfect, which has been a big part of their success um, so far. Uh, I think the Jets are are as good as their goalie. If uh, Hellbuck can still can still be elite, then I think that they're they're going to go far. Uh, Blake Wheeler has really just put the team on his back and. Even though that, even though they're without uh, Mark Scheifele, who I think is one of the probably the top ten uh, centers in the NHL, I you know they've been playing very very well. Also, Patrick Laine has been a little dormant as of late, so another resurgence from him could see uh, could see him you know really uh, pu- pushing this team uh, past 
I think that the Predators are probably the best team on paper in the in the Central, and I think that they'll over, especially with the four games uh, in hand. I think that they'll probably move to the front. If you take a look, they actually have the least amount of goals against in the Central, um, but it's really the goals for that they're that they're really getting killed in. They don't, I think they're tied for last with the uh, Minnesota Wild. Uh, the team to watch for, in my opinion, is the Dallas Stars, who have kind of started finding who started finding their game, six three and one in the last ten, and I don't know how you could count them out ever. Uh, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, uh, Jason Spezza, Alexander Radulov, uh, Ellie, uh, Nick Shore. Just you go down the list, and there are guys on there that that can put the puck in the net any way you want them to. Uh, also, Jamel Smith has been a really big help for them uh, down the stretch. Really good power forward on that fourth line. Uh, if they if they get Valeri uh, Nishkinen back, or Nish, Nishkinen, I can never know how to say that, but uh, if they get Valeri Nishkinen back from, I think it's Tractor uh, Chebelinsk over in the KHL, you know, they could be even better. I don't know if they have the cap space for him. Also, John Klingberg, probably my pick for the North so far this season, has just been absolutely incredible. First defender to hit 40 points and has looked really good in both zones. Um, also on that second line, and I've been I've been beating this guy's drum for a very long time, probably since he was drafted. Actually, was uh, was Julius Honka? He was one of my picks to be the in the Calder uh, Calder Trophy uh, nominations uh, this season. But he hasn't performed up to that level, but he's been very very good. His possession numbers are incredible, and they stay they're staying uh, they're staying incredible, especially after uh, not Lindy Ruff, but um, the coach. Uh, Hitchcock has started taking away. Yeah, Hitchcock has started taking away some of the sheltering that he got early on. Uh, I think that they're a very good team. Also, Ben Bishop can can stay healthy. You know, oh, they could go deep. That's going to be a, wherever they are, wherever they finish in the standings, and I do believe that they're going to finish in the playoffs. I'm going to be watching that series first off and you know foremost because that's just going to be a yeah. fun, high scoring series, and that's what I want. And as it stands right now, they're in the the second wild card spot with 51 points um but they have a game in hand over a couple teams in front of them this is uh, this is the last thing i'll say about the central division this is and this is correct as of january 11th so i'm sure it's changed a little bit the metropolitan goal differential is minus five the atlantic is minus 42 pacific minus 53 and the central division goal differential as a whole is plus 100 so it's uh, just from that alone, you can see just how competitive this division is this year. Uh, as I might say, the uh, the Thunderdome is back. And, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. The Predators are proud champions of the uh, the Central Division if they can pull this one out. Um, although I think, yeah, you know, a lot of the teams you mentioned, I think, have a chance to make it in as wild cards or maybe that third spot. But I think Winnipeg is really the only team that's going to s- consistently challenge the Predators for that top spot in the Central. Yeah, that's going to be a fun um, playoff yeah. series if it gets that far. That's oh going to be gosh. a really fun one. All I want is Preds Lightning. And oh. I realize that would have to happen in a cup final, but man, that would just be insane. Um, anyhow, looking ahead to some of the the uh, upcoming, more upcoming uh, games for Nashville, they've got a very interesting schedule, I think, coming up. All home games this week. They got Vegas in town on Tuesday night, Arizona Thursday, and Florida on Saturday. Now, Vegas is a very good team, as we know. I think they're currently the second-best team in the NHL. Um, we won't get into trying to explain that one this time, but uh, as objectively speaking, they are a very good team. 
Um, let's see, Arizona obviously is a very bad team. Currently last place overall in the NHL. And then Florida, although they've been a shown, I think Florida's shown some signs of life lately. They're, let's see, they're 6-3-1 in their last 10 games. So they, they've been improving. But um, on paper, you got to think Nashville has the advantage in that one. However, I think Arizona and Florida have both shown that they, for whatever reason, um, kind of have Nashville's number. So I would say not an easy week, even though it might look like a bit of an easy week. But we'll start with Vegas. And uh, Corey, you know, Nashville has now uh, seen Vegas twice. And you got to say that Vegas looked like the better team in both competitions. But do you think that Nashville maybe could learn from some of the lessons? Or are we, we uh, doomed to repeat the mistakes of the first two games? Uh, you know, I think the first two games they had um... – you know, I didn't expect Malcolm Subban to play as well as he did in that first game. He's played out of his mind. He's been he's been really a really good asset for the for the Knights. And then, of course, Mark Andre Fleury has come in, and uh, and now is just kind of showing showing the young guy how it's done too. I mean, they're both really good. You know, I think there's a lot of pride on the line for the Predators, especially with their first two games coming back. You know, you know, being oh one and one against the Knights and being oh and one against the Coyotes. I, I really think this break is going to do them some good mentally, and they can really go through a, a big fight with with the Knights. I think they need to set the tone, though. They need they need to set they need to say to Vegas, "Look, we're in this to to win the get, uh, to win the conference and go to the Stanley Cup. So you're going to have to go through us." And they have, you know, the first game was it went to a shootout, nine rounds, you know, really good game. The second one was just a massacre. I mean, it was just horrible. The Predators need to set the tone and, and kind of show that they what the team they really are, especially with uh, with being a little bit more healthy at this point in time. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of pride on the line in that game, and I think they're going to come out and set the tone early and, and show the Knights that they're for real. That's what I'm hoping for, at least. And George, are, are you in agreement? Uh, do you think do you think Nashville's got a chance in this this matchup against Vegas, or have you seen enough from these two teams to know that it's Vegas' uh, result to take? I know everyone loves it when I sigh like that, but yep. As long, long as sigh. yep, Dave Lozo, R.I.P. Uh, he's not <laughs> dead, but still, um, you know the system hasn't changed, and it's not the, for lack of talent that the Predators were losing to the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think as long as the system stays the same, the Predators are going to continue to lose. I we can talk about who wants it more and whatnot, and now the games. I guess the, this is going to be the second game played at home for the for the Predators against the Knights. I could be wrong, but I believe that's right. Um, but, yeah. I just... The Predators cannot figure out how to actually get a high-quality uh, scoring chance against the Knights, and that's what's going to kill them. doesn't matter how many shots they take from the point or from the upper right circle or wherever. It doesn't matter. They need they need to actually get into the dirty areas, and that's going to require players to, to not just pass around the perimeter. And while this weird kind of set play where they work it deep and then they try to work it back up to the to the defense to get a you know a long range shot and then a rebound as long as that keeps happening they're going to keep losing to a team that does so well in transition as well as so well as boxing out players from from that slot area um yeah that's really that's really all i gotta say the vegas vegas is just too fast and too good to be allowed to kind of transition like that yeah i gotta say you know I think Nashville has all the all the pieces to beat this Vegas team. I mean, player for player, you, 
there's I don't know how you argue that Vegas is the better team, but we've seen that they uh, they are and they can be. So I'm gonna say that they're gonna take the they're gonna take advantage of Nashville again. It's I, don't, I haven't seen anything from the Predators to suggest that they can keep up with this team really through a a full game. So. It will be interesting. I mean, obviously, yeah. a lot on the line in terms of kind of uh, Western Conference pride and, and standing. So, hopefully, the Preds will come back from this this off week. Um, hopefully, the the off week won't doom teams quite like it did last year, where we saw, I think, maybe I think over fifty percent of the teams last season coming off their bye week had an immediate loss. So, um, anyway, we'll we'll hope to see Nashville bounce back in a positive way. Michael, just real quick. Uh... I think I may have said it earlier, but and I've asked you this question a few times now, but who's the most important person on that bench in, in Vegas? See, I'm not going to get fooled by this again because you said it too many times, but yeah. I'm still going to say Jonathan Marcheseau just to let you uh, do the uh, the reveal, big reveal. So I'm going to say yeah. John Marcheseau. It's, it's Gerard Gallant, pound for pound. <laughs> there it is. He's the best coach right now. And as long as he's coaching and as long as Peter Laviolette keeps banging his head against the wall, the Knights are going to keep winning. Um, now... At least they lost. At least they lost to Edmonton last game. You know. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. Darnell Nurse. Holy smokes! He's a modern day Chris Pronger. I love him to death. Has anyone heard from Connor McDavid? Is Connor McDavid alive after his twenty first birthday in the bye week uh, in Vegas? Um, Probably not. I assume that he's professional enough to. <laughs> I don't to think he drinks. I think he's just a robot. He goes to the rink. He that goes home, works out, and that's There's it. There's something sort of Crosby esque about him, and I, I think that you might be right there. Yeah. Uh, we got, we'll move on to this. The next game is uh, Thursday night, again in Nashville, against the Coyotes. Coyotes, of course, uh, the first matchup between these teams in Arizona. Saw just like the most one-sided possession game I've seen all year in terms of in Nashville's favor. I think by the end of the game, they had a plus 40 shot attempt differential, I'm pretty sure, by the end of the game around there at least. So, I mean, just totally one-sided. However, Arizona got, got the win. Um, with with Saros and Ned, and I would assume that we'll see Rene and that on Thursday night. Corey, you think Nashville wins this one, or is uh, Arizona going to pull the uh, another another upset here? You know, I, I think I think it's going to depend on how things go with Vegas. If they lose to Vegas, who knows what type of mental stability they will have going into the game against the Coyotes? I I, I don't know. They play down to their competition so much that I, I don't want to sit there and say, yeah, they're going to come out, they're just going to trash them and all this. Because you saw what happened last game. They won the possession battles across the board and lost the game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they are great at snatch, uh, snatching defeat from the, their hands of victory. So I think we've said nice. that a few times as well. But it also going to depend on what happens with Vegas. And, and I hate to I hate to keep on going back to that. It's not like I'm beating the same dead horse here, but it's that's a that's a that's the mental stumbling block for Nashville moving forward. I, I really think so because there's a lot. <laughs> it's just how it goes for me. I, that's that's the way I look at it. So I'm sure there's sh- a bit of pride lost getting getting beaten twice and perhaps a third time by. Uh, the brand new expansion team, but that's been the case for a lot of teams in the NHL this year. As Vegas is just kind of running train on a lot of people, right? And uh, George, you think? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Go ahead, George. You think uh, the Preds have a chance against the worst team in the NHL, or is Arizona going to pull pull the giant killer again? Two things. First, did you just use the phrase "running train"? God, what are you, what are you don't like running train? No, I I just, it's not that I don't like it. I just I, I can't. I haven't heard that said since. 
Of course, now I'm mad. You know, somebody, it was your girlfriend, told me of a phrase you used recently, unironically, and I cannot believe I've forgotten it because I meant to make fun of you on the air for it. Thank you for uh, that. Something was, what was it, in the in the house? So, was that it? No, uh, anyway. no. We're not, yes, we're I did use that. the phrase running train, and I'm not going to shy away from it. <laughs> Vegas is run train on the NHL. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Anyways, uh, you know, don't get out Arizona. This team looks totally different ever since they got Jacob Jacobson back. He's been incredible, especially on the left side of uh, Oliver, or sorry, the right side of Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, you know, when he's on the ice, that team jumps up. You know, a couple uh, a couple points. I I'm curious to see how that goes. Um, apparently, Richard Panic has like two points in the last three games, which is way above his average. So he's been doing well, and uh, now they got rid of Anthony Duclair. I think a lot of the big deal is going to be uh, uh, goaltending. You know, are the Coyotes going to get Auntie Ranta in that, or are they going to get Scott Wedgwood? You know, we don't. It depends because the Sharks just put up six goals on them, and they're not really exactly a high-scoring team. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I think that the Predators probably have this. I think that they're going to learn from past mistakes, and I know that I just spent like the last twenty minutes saying that Laviolette can't learn from his past mistakes, but I think that the that the team itself is going to be able to figure this out and not give up a lead to a really bad team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, despite everything I've seen, every disappointment I've seen from the Predators, I'm going to have to say there's there's just no ways uh, you can predict Arizona winning this game. But, yeah, obviously that remains to be seen. And the week will be rounded out on Saturday night against the Florida Panthers, who, as, as <clears throat> I mentioned a little earlier, have been quite a bit better as of late, but still representing the very, very bad Atlantic division this year. Um Corey, you've seen anything from Florida that would make you think Nashville's going to struggle with this one, or is this going to be a, a one-sided affair for the Preds? You know, like you, like you said, they've, they've played better of late, and momentum is a, is a crazy thing. It could really – I mean, you saw how – just even in football games today, how a little momentum can – how momentum can swing one way to the other. I mean, Minnesota in the game earlier today for football had a 17 nothing lead, and then – the, the Saints kind of trudged back, took the lead, and then all of a sudden, at the very end of the game, you know, something else changed. You know, with with the Panthers playing as well as they had recently, uh, I mean, they had a, a 7-4 win against the uh, St. Louis Blues on the road. I, I You know, they, they've lost some of those games, but they've played well. I don't see them coming into Nashville and beating the Predators at this point in time because they're not a very good road team. But... I wouldn't put anything past them. I mean, also, are we going to get Soros in that? Or are we going to get Rene in that? Probably going to be Soros for this game is my, is my guess. And he's played pretty well up in Milwaukee recently. So hopefully that helps <clears throat> with some continuity for him. But uh, <coughs> I don't put anything past the Florida Panthers. I do think it's two points for the Predators, though. Yeah. All right, George, very quickly because we're running out of time. I'll just ask you how many points you think Nashville is going to grab against the Panthers. Uh, two. I think Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberto and Evgeny Dadanov are really good, and I, I also really like uh, Aaron Ekblad, but they don't have the depth to compete with the team, especially when they're going to get line matched. Uh, yeah, I don't think they have it. Yeah, you got to think with the with the home team advantage, obviously. I mean, Nashville just should win these games. They should get six points. They should get six points this. Ooh. Yeah, I'm saying it. They should even with Vegas in the in the in the running here. Mm. Uh, anyhow, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and plug our, our various social media and online presences. Uh, Corey, I'll let you start. Where can we where can we find your work and and your hockey thoughts and that sort of thing? Uh, of course, hockey stuff on uh, Predlines.com. Do uh, 
uh, help co-expert that with George. And so we, we try to get as much out of there as we can. Uh, I have my own website, jcoreyfrancis.com, geared towards uh, music and music education. And then uh, on Twitter at jcoreyfrancis as well. So you can find me there. George? Uh, find me on Twitter, GeorgeM1019, the GMN are capitalized. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Predlines or, uh, I don't know, you can find me walking down the streets of Madison. <laughs> don't attempt that if, if if to our listeners yeah Just, if you see george don't approach him he tends to be quite, kind of grouchy yeah especially um, yeah yeah no you're right as, <laughs> as for myself find me on twitter at wade m1994 i'm a regular contributor to predlines.com where you can find my uh, kind of stats breakdowns and um been i've been uh, getting the prod to do a little more opinions so if you want to get angry and disagree with me find myself on predlines for that sort of thing other than that, uh, George and I do a, another podcast called Between the Pipes, in which we focus on hockey in general. If you don't want to hear us talk about the Predators all the time, we usually stick to about 50% of the time uh, <laughs> on Between the Pipes. Uh, aside from that, thank you very much for joining us, listeners, and to George and Corey, thanks again, and I will see you both uh, probably next week. Yep. Also, please uh, please please write and or please write a review or leave five stars on our uh, iTunes page. That'd be very much appreciated. Thank you. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, that was that's, yeah. that's a good thing to point yeah. out. I've always forgotten that. Yeah, if yeah. you'd like to leave us a review, we'd very much appreciate it. Help uh, spread the word about uh, the Pride Lines podcast. Other than that, uh, yeah, we will see you next week. Bye.